0: move on with our Timothy series, and we're going to hear from a good friend of mine, Ben. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, church, for your generosity. It's it's Isn't it cool to, to hear how when we team together, like, cool stuff can happen? And it was fun to, fun to hear about that. My name is Sven, my wife Amber and I. We volunteer here at at Christ the King, Sudden Valley here in Bellingham. And uh big welcome to those of you watching online, those of you here in the room. It's pretty great to be here in the room today. And uh those of you watching later in the week, like sometimes I do that. It's like Tuesday, I'm watching Sunday to the church. But Jesus, what's, the miracle is that Jesus still meets me. It's like two or three days later and I still feel the presence of God. You know, I, lo- I love the old concept of uh, um, when I was a kid in the 80s, we had preaching tapes, right? And you'd, you'd, you'd dust off the, the preaching tape and rewind it and you'd put it in your cassette deck and you'd listen to this old sermon and it would be, you know, this old sermon from like a decade earlier, and then God would just—you'd be crying, and and God would just meet you. And that, so it's my prayer that, um, you know, who knows? Maybe years from now, someone would, someone would uh, would rewind the proverbial cassette deck by clicking on our talk down the road. Um, These are—how many of you have just felt a, an extra nudge from God to, uh, to just pray right now? It just feels like one of those days, one of those times in the history of the planet where it's like, wow, I, I, don't, I gotta pray. <laughs> and um, I've been feeling that tug on my heart as I was preparing for this talk. Uh, here, today, we're in this Prodigy—this series we titled Prodigy. It's a studies in First and Second Timothy um the relational calling it's 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 been a it's i've i've been thankful for this journey through with with Timothy and Ephesus as we've been studying this um but as i was preparing um i was in the co- coffee shop in Tacoma and and we've been living in Tacoma a lot of the time these days and and i'm in this upstairs area at this little coffee shop down the street from us called the Jewel Box Cafe it's a cool little spot and I'm upstairs and and there's four young men just just um just just having a you know just big conversation but it's not English they're speaking and because I'm a Spanish speaker every foreign language is so funny every foreign language sounds like Spanish to me because that's the only foreign language I know so like if it's not English like I'm like is that Spanish is that Spanish Uh, It wasn't. And uh, I I started up a conversation, I was like, hey, what language are you all speaking? And they said, oh, we're speaking Russian. And the conversation went on, and, and for, you know, a good five minutes or so, and come to find out, one of them was Ukrainian, three of them were Russian, and then one of the one of the young men who was Russian had only been in Tacoma, only been in the United States for four days. And so it was one of those moments where it's like I've been praying, you know There's these world events happening and then here at the coffee shop. I'm just like interacting with these young men and You know talking about The state of things in the world right and 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 they were they they even said that one of the young men said look at us Like we're family and and we're russian. He's ukrainian. Like we're right here. We're like we're family and so um the, the gospel, I'm thankful for the simple gospel, the simple gospel, the simple approachable gospel. But um, it's not simplistic in its application, is it? It's, it's a complex world we live in. We have a simple gospel that's approachable to all. But when we go to pray, it's like, whoa, this is a complex world we're living in. And I was thinking about the hope and the good news of Jesus and how complicated it is as I pray for these young men, as I remember that conversation. You know, we pray for justice and safety and refugees and immigrants and money for essentials. We pray against the evil of t- targeting civilians with weapons, and we pray for peace. Um, we ask for forgiveness for, for the imperfect resume of our own country, right? We pray for our own hearts. We pray for our own posture of our own hearts. And so I just continue with that, with that prayer right now. Jesus we we just need you we we're thankful for for your wisdom how you know better than us you know you know everything we don't know and jesus we just but we we pray for peace we pray for for your guidance and and that you would protect people and you'd bring wisdom to people and you would you would protect people from war crimes you would you would reach out to people. You would show us how we can be generous with our money. You, could, you would show us how to pray. We just need to know how to pray and respond in our hearts, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen. And the real life brings up real questions in our hearts. And questions are challenging. Um, have you ever felt shame because you have real questions? that you want to ask God, have you ever tried to protect God because you felt that God might be fragile or weak? I remember as a kid growing up as a, as a Jesus follower, like, I would read any books that kind of defended the, the, the Christian faith. Like, I, um, sometimes that category of books is called, like, apologetic books or, like, defending the faith books. But sometimes my heart, I think, was a little off-center because I, I, um, I had this sense that I needed to protect God because God was somehow fragile, like God, that God, that if I didn't like learn all this stuff, like God was going to, someone was going to take advantage of God somehow. And, And over time, I realized, wait a second, God is very resilient. God is not fragile. And in fact, you can hit God with your deepest, most challenging questions, and he's not afraid of that. He's not intimidated by that. And that's my first point. Jesus is not intimidated or offended by our heartfelt questions and doubts. Even God questioned God. And we could unpack that and and talk about the Trinity for a while. But what I want to emphasize is this in Matthew 27 verse 46 where Jesus literally questions the father and just goes uh, it, it says like it says this in Matthew the, our, the gospel of Matthew 20, chapter 27 verse 46 says about three in the afternoon Jesus cried out in a loud voice Eli Eli Lema Sabachthani I don't know if I pronounced that correctly I think that's Aramaic which, which means my God my God why have you forsaken me so even Jesus knew what it was like to go to have this deep this deep question and 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 so I encourage us this morning as we talk about hope this morning I'm in I'm in, I'm in the 6th chapter of of 1 Timothy and I'm, I I want to talk about hope the title of my talk this morning is Jesus brings impossible hope impossible hope not simplistic hope it's simple in its accessibility. It's simple in that it's Jesus crucified, Jesus overcoming death, the Jesus bringing new life, and Jesus taking our place for 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 our mistakes and our sin. It's a simple gospel, but it's but it's an impossible hope be, that only God is capable of, capable of, and it's available to us. Have you ever seen something or done something that makes you wonder if you ever want to follow Jesus anymore like you see some, see something in someone else's life or or any anytime I prepare a talk for like uh, for a Jesus talk like anytime I'm gonna speak publicly and 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 kind of proclaim Jesus things I'll, my brain will just go through all the all the all the bad decisions I've ever made in my life I'll just it'll just like run I don't have to like I, it's it's not like difficult to remember. Like my, it's not like I wonder what are the things I've done wrong. Like the enemy will just literally, it'll just like play for like a week straight. It's like oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, and all week long I'll just be surrendering to Jesus and going, Jesus, I just thank you for your mercy. I thank you that for your sonship. I thank you that you you love me and you and you care for me and you care for your church and you would have me. Proclaim your truth, even, though, even me being who I am. And, I, and I'm thankful for that. And, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, it says this. It says, uh, If anyone is going to stumble on what Christianity offers, it doesn't say this. This is my point. If anyone is going to stumble on what Christianity offers, let the stumbling block be Christ killed on the cross. A lot of times, we ourselves are the stumbling block. Our attitudes, the way we share our beliefs and how we live our lives might point to hope in in Jesus. I hope that it points to Jesus. And as people search for relationship with God and explore Christianity, let's not get in the way. Let it be about Jesus, the first century Jewish rabbi who lived a perfect life on our behalf and then died on our behalf and then conquered death by by coming back to life. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 23 that says, says, but we preach, this is Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. He says all this stuff. He, and he says, We preach Christ crucified. And if he, and if people are going to stumble on anything, it's, it, Paul says this: a stumbling block to Jews and foolish foolishness to Gentiles. He says, For those on the inside, why would the Messiah, why would the rescuer be, die? The rescuer was supposed to was supposed to turn the whole thing around. The Rescuer was supposed to bring a new kingdom. But Jesus did it a different way. Jesus did it, did it an unexpected way. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus brought the kingdom by on the inside first, and it will one day, when he comes back, bring the full expression of the kingdom of God one day when all things are made right. And to the Gentiles... The outsiders, people looking at Christianity, they often would go, well, I want wisdom like I, lo- I I love I love philosophy like give me something I can chew on like why is it that like common people like fishermen and people who are who who don't have a lot of stature in the community, why are they like following Jesus? like uh, there must like and that was a stumbling block that, because Jesus, um, the simplicity, the, the simpleness of the gospel was a stumbling block. But I'm here this morning saying, it's good when Jesus is the stumbling block because Jesus can defend himself. It's good when Jesus is the problem that someone is like, like I love it when people say, uh, say, oh, you know what? I, I would follow, I would follow Jesus, but I'm not quite, I'm not quite, I don't quite believe that Jesus what Jesus did matters, and I don't quite believe that what Jesus did is um, is important. I, like when their focus is Jesus, I just I just this everything in me just kind of I have this sigh of relief, and I just go, oh thank God, because Jesus can defend himself. Like, like, Jesus will reach into that person's life, and Jesus will, will answer those questions. What bothers me is when it's like, I, I I just, oh, it breaks my heart when, and when people say things like, oh, I've seen so many Christians who live a life that I just, I don't see any hope, and why would I want that life? Like, I, and I, and this thing inside me just goes, oh, but we're not all you know I'm pretty messed up sometimes but I but we're not all that messed up I promise and and there's people outside of Christianity who are also messed up you know like so like you know and uh and I'll kind of like that that pastoral part of me will will talk that way but then I just but then, but then I'm able to just go you know what Jesus <laughs> you do your good work facing challenging biblical passages that we don't like sharpens our biblical interpretation skills and that journey can increase our hope that happened to me um, this week as i looked in uh 1 Timothy chapter 6 but one of one of the most important verses for us as Christ followers in, is in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15 where it says it says this but in your hearts revere Christ as lord always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Do this with gentleness and respect. I love that, P- that Peter in his sermons, at, you know, they're compiled in 1 in, in Peter. Um, I, I, love, I love that Peter is saying, he's just taking for granted that you're going to live a life where people just go, whoa, where does that hope come from? Like, I would love for Peter, in the, you know, the disciple of Christ, I could somehow go back in time or something, or maybe from heaven above, like maybe God would let let him get a glimpse of my life somehow, and Peter would go, ah, oh, that's Finn, that guy lives hope, like that guy is so full of hope. I want that. I would love for us to grow in that as a community, right? But it, but and as we live that, that the people around us would go, whoa, what's the reason for that hope? And this morning, I, I'm just, I'm hoping that, I, I'm I'm wanting us to 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 have a little bit more ability to to talk about that hope that we have as from looking at this difficult verse that comes up. Have you ever read a part of the Bible that triggers you? It brings up pain and hurt. Um, this next passage that has to do with slavery, um, it was a passage that was that was misused by slave owners who knew they were guilty they um slave owners would would misuse this verse by like just preaching it to the slaves and then forbidding those under slavery to learn how to read and how to they were actually they were they they knew they were they were so aware of their own guilt that they forbade slaves to learn how to read and learn how to read the Bible for themselves because they knew that if you read the Bible at all, you would know that you, you would know how messed up it was, that the, what they were doing. So like with a guilty conscience and so they were misusing this verse that I'm about to read and when I read verses like this, it like, because I know the history of how this verse has been used, it just ah, oh, it, just, it just breaks my heart. The Christian Bible teaches that that slavery is evil and this, but, and, but this passage shows that the, the kingdom of God can bring change both from the inside and from the outside. And let's read it. 1 Timothy chapter, chapter 6, verse 1 and 2 says this. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters should not show them disrespect just because they are fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and and are devoted to the welfare of their slaves." Now, in the history of the United States, we had, we had a form of slavery um, different from the slavery that we see, different in some, some ways from the, the, he, the Hebrew slavery that we see in the Old Testament, different in some ways from the slavery that we see underneath the Roman Empire in the New Testament, and, and then that's, that's the context for this verse, which was written underneath the Roman Empire in Ephesus. But all forms of slavery are evil. Jesus began his ministry reading Isaiah chapter 61. It was about God, bringing rescu- God rescuing those who are under, under anything like slavery. One of the most pivotal moments of the Bible is God rescuing Israel from slavery in Egypt. There's God's original intent. For um, Actually, I'm going to s- skip that right now. I'm going to say, Paul tells Philemon to, to free Onesimus, who escaped slavery. In the Old Testament, there was no such thing in the Hebrew slave world. There was no such thing as a runaway slave. There was only a slaves who, slaves who escaped because, because the law was, there were, these, there were these cities of refuge, and if you had a chance to escape, you went to one of those cities of refuge and you were now free. And so God's intent in that context was for people to escape. There was also a year of jubilee every seven years. There's like the big year of jubilee every 50 years, but there was a year of jubilee every seven years where people um, were, were, and you can, were, were freed. And you, and you see the different, um, you can see God's heart reaching into a broken circumstance We see this all through Scripture where there's a couple of things going on. There's God's original intent for humanity, and and there's in this sinful world that we live in, God taking us toward the book of Revelation, taking us toward that one day where God heals humanity, God heals all things, where God makes all things right, where every tribe and nation and tongue is worshiping before the throne, and everything that we are, we're able to bring before Jesus, and Jesus is King, and Jesus, um, the kingship of Jesus is beautiful, and it and it makes all things right. The rule and reign of Jesus makes all things right. But in the meantime, there's there's again and again there's these moments where there's these broken situations, there's these broken human institutions that are sinful and messed up I mean, God will reach into the situation and go I'm going to give you tools I'm going to give you an ability to, in, to initiate change from the inside and from the outside there's going to be and, and sometimes it's difficult for us to have discernment to know about how giant structural change is going to happen Big government systems, big giant institutions in our world. But what we see in Isaiah—I mean, in First Timothy chapter six—is God going? Is God going? If you're full, if you're if you're full of the fruit of the Spirit, there's no law against that. No matter what situation you're in, there's that's there's always room for change to begin that way. Jesus began his ministry with this. He was quoting Psalm 61. This is Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor. Have you ever felt the negative influence of someone's words or actions? That means, it, and I think we all have, I think we've sometimes been that negative influence with our words and actions. And that means that positive influence is also possible. Our, my next point is that our words and our actions can make a difference when we point toward God's character. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 4 and verse 11 talking about this group of leaders in Ephesus and the church in Ephesus um, it probably wasn't one big room of people in Ephesus it was probably a lot of different house churches but there were and probably leaders kind of like went or went from house to house and leading these churches in Ephesus and some of these leaders as we've been going through this book this book of the Bible this letter from uh, of, from Paul to Timothy uh, they, They've been twisting God's truth They've been coming up with their own stuff And uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 Verse 4 and 11 Hits this on the nail and it says this They are conceited And understand nothing They have an unhealthy interest In controversies and quarrels About words That result in envy Strife Malicious talk Evil suspicions a few verses later, it says, instead, do this. It says, but you, man of God, you, Timothy, you, and it, and it puts emphasis on you're a man of God, and, and for, the, for, the, for the woman reader, when you read this, you could go, hey, you, woman of God, oh, I'm of God? Oh, wait, what about that whole, that whole uh, negative resume that the enemy takes me through every time that I go to do anything good in my life? And, and but Jesus calls us out and says, "You, son and daughter of God. Flee from all this, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. Our lives are changed as we grow in the fruit of the Holy Spirit and we experience the power of the Holy Spirit. We learn from the Holy Spirit both contentment and how to fight injustice. It's both. It's a certain flavor of contentment. It's a very specific kind of contentment. It's the kind of contentment that can be content with very few things, but, it's, but what makes it interesting, it's a, it's, it's a kind of contentment where if you gain the whole world, it's discontent. It's a certain flavor of contentedness. It's awakened. It's, it, when we were singing this morning uh, with Darla um, about the uh, awaken us. Awaken us. It, it's that kind of contentment. It's wide awake. It's not numbed by addiction. It's not, it's not running away in fear. It's not just being a doormat. It's, it's, it's contentment that that is responding to the Holy Spirit and waiting on God and saying, I'll be content, God, because your ways are good and you are a good God and you are faithful and I believe in you. Like the children of Israel in Egypt and uh, a kind of contentment that is going, okay, God, are there, am I supposed to be like the midwives in Egypt who fought back and saved young babies from being killed? Am I supposed to stand up like uh Shadrach Meshach Abednego Daniel who literally were just like I will stand up to the 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 biggest powers that be the 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 most important people I will stand up to them come what may I'll give my life that willingness to stand up against injustice is it um or is it someone like who's working from the inside like queen esther who is in this system of control and polygamy and one of many wives and somehow she goes oh i'm in this broken system i am going to stand up for god in the middle of this messed up situation somehow some way it's not right i'm not condoning this whole thing but i'm gonna stand up for the people of israel in this moment um it's a certain flavor of contentment. It's a it's an openness to God. It's a, it's a willingness to fight injustice anytime God wants us to, and we don't always get it right. Moses, when he when when he he as a young man, he knew he knew that Israel needed to escape slavery. And what does he do? He murders someone, he's misunderstood, it doesn't go well for him. Um, an example of someone with a good intent in their heart, like trying to get it right, like trying to fight for something good and just missing the boat, like just missing what God was doing. Later on, God would redeem that whole situation, right? God would bring Moses back and God would, God would take Israel out of Egypt. 1 Timothy 6, chapter 6 says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. God there's this you when you have godliness and contentment together it's a superpower cuz contentment is it's this waiting on God and God has all the power he needs our lives are changed As we grow in the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that's what I read a few moments ago, and we experience the power of the Holy Spirit, we learn from the Holy Spirit both both contentment and how to fight injustice. Jesus, many times, led by the Father, led by the Holy Spirit, would preach out-of-the-way places with people that weren't very important in the grand scheme of the Roman world, waiting for God's timing. But there's a moment where he's in Jerusalem, and the Pharisees want him out of Jerusalem because Jerusalem is where actual change can happen, and they're, they're trying to scare him out of Jerusalem. And Jesus, J- Jesus has this moment where he speaks back to the Pharisees, and he says, he says this, you go tell that fox when referring to Herod. When the timing is right, he claims to be king when questioned by Pontius Pilate. And as human beings, we know intuitively that power corrupts everyone. Power is so dangerous in our world, but power doesn't corrupt Jesus. Power doesn't corrupt Jesus. For some reason, God has chosen to use this institution of monarchy in the Bible, this idea of kingship. There's many examples of monarchy not working well on the planet but when jesus is king it changes the whole thing when jesus is king it it can redeem the whole thing it it can change the whole thing luke chapter 13 verse 32 this is the verse where jesus replies he says you go tell that fox i will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow and on the third day i will reach my goal 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 13 says this. Talking about it, the, the chapter started with, with by saying, by really emphasizing contentment, by really emphasizing heart posture, by really emphasizing kind of like staying small. And then in the very same chapter, suddenly we hear that we hear Paul telling Timothy, oh, I want you, there's going to be a moment when you're going to make the good defense, where you're going to stand strong, and you, just like Jesus did, and this is what 1 chap- Timothy chapter 6, verse 13 says, in the sight of God who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying, testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you. This good confession is, was, I'm the king, I am the Christ, I am the Messiah I'm not going to hide that I am the rescuer I am the defender of the weak I am the king have you ever been in a situation where you know change needs to happen at every single level at and you know a complete over of the overhaul of the system is necessary. And I know you've been in these situations because you are human, living in a human world that is broken by our sinful decisions, by, us, by the sinful decisions of others. I know that you've been in situation after situation where you just are literally overwhelmed by the amount of change that's needed. It's, all, it's to where it's just like, where do I even start? How do I even, what do I even do? Mary must have felt this. Israel, Mary, the mother of Jesus, must have felt this. People ens- enslaved in Ephesus must have felt this. Historians believe that up to a third of the people in Ephesus would have been slaves. There were so many slaves that at one point, a government official um, in the Roman Empire had said, I've got an idea. We would like to know who slavery, who the slaves are, so we're going to put, uh, we're going to have them put like an armband on, and then someone else realized, wait a second, we're worried about a slave revolt. If, 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 if everyone knew how many slaves there actually were in Ephesus, actually were in the Roman Empire, um, this whole institution would be over. Thankfully, Christianity uh, would end slavery in the centuries to come. Mary, the mother of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, declares the hope of Jesus. This is hope for us throughout history as we look forward to Jesus one day completely healing our world. What does your heart look like? Like, what are the things in your heart that just make you go, ah, I don't even know. I don't, this, this is such a big deal in my heart, it makes me wonder if I can even follow Jesus. Jesus. What are the passages of Scripture where you read them and, and you just go, I don't, that just breaks my heart. I just, I just don't even know how to even face that part of the Bible. I'm here this morning to, to tell you that I don't know how Jesus is going to meet you there. But I see a pattern of how Jesus has met us through history. I see how a pattern of how Jesus has met the church through history. Reaching into our hearts. Not being afraid of our process. There's a psalm um, that I I think it's psalm 117. I wanted to make sure I wrote down literally the, the correct one because I think it matters, but it's, um, it's, a, it's a psalm where, uh, where the psalmist is in process of responding to this world and this life and, and just wants vengeance. It's a psalm where literally someone's children have probably been killed, and the only way he knows how to respond is to say, God, kill their children. And it it hurts. It hurts that that's in the Bible. But it it makes a place for God's willingness to face our our desire for vengeance, our desire, our our pain and our hurt. And we have that in the book of Psalms. And then we have Jesus on the cross seeing those crucifying him and and with that ability that only Jesus could have to, to, to be able to say, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. Forgive them, God. They don't, they don't know. And I'm so thankful that God can 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 reach, isn't waiting for me to be that awesome. <laughs> God isn't waiting for me to have that level of forgiveness. That God is wherever I'm at. Wherever I'm at in my questioning heart, wherever I'm at in my, re- in my responsiveness to Jesus, wherever I'm at in my powerlessness, or maybe in the power that I have, maybe I have moments where I actually have power, and I have opportunity to make change, and I just don't know if I can, if I can stand up to injustice. I don't know. Mary, the mother of Jesus, um filled with psalms psalm 103 she's re- she's referring to psalm 103 and 107 she's she's she as a pregnant woman is with her sister elizabeth and and she she preaches she sings she 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 Some people would argue she was Jesus' first disciple in her responsiveness to Jesus. Jesus is still in the the womb and, and she has a clarity about who Jesus is. She has a clarity that he is rescuer, that he is Lord. And so if the worship band would come up as I read the Magnificat, as I read Mary, the mother of Jesus, quoting the Psalms and just praying her own heart, Luke chapter 1, verse 46 through 55 says this. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed or blessed. He has helped his servant Israel remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever just as he promised our ancestors. So I'm going to end in prayer. And my prayer is that, is that the reality of this impossible hope would meet us in our hearts. Would meet us in the I don't understand. Would meet us in our mourning. Would meet us, would meet us in our our indecision would meet us in our in the longing of our heart for more, our longing of our heart for change. We see we see change that needs to happen on our own heart. We see change that needs to happen in our own church. We see change that needs to happen in our in, in the body of Christ worldwide. It's so easy to be overwhelmed, but this impossible hope is available to us in Jesus. This impossible wisdom, this impossible goodness. And we can try to discern it somehow perfectly, but, but no one could know when it was that Pharaoh would be overthrown and the slaves would be pulled out of Egypt. No one could discern that, only God alone. But we surrender to God, the liberator, the, the God of justice, and we just say, your will be done, God, on earth as it is in heaven. You be king, you be king in my life. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, um, meet us in the heaviness. Meet us in the joy that you give to us. You always initiate. You always give grace. You always give mercy so we can respond back to you. Jesus, build our responsiveness back to you. Help us live a life of hope. Help us to be ready to be able to somehow put words to that when others ask help us, Jesus, to point to you, to point to the cross. Jesus, you be the center, just like through this whole entire book of Timothy, where you have been, Jesus, the cross has been, has been the meta-narrative. The cross has been the big story. The cross has been the, the center of all this. No matter how we respond to you, we say, Jesus, you be the center. Bring your impossible hope and Amen, amen, amen. And now we just, we just respond by singing. We respond this week in our lives as we, as we go about our lives, we, as we grow in prayerfulness, as we, as we grow in, in being spirit-led, as we grow in, in living for Jesus.